You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Did you know that there are over 50 bonus editions of Attaboy Clarence available right now that have never been on this podcast? That's right. By signing up at Patreon.com slash AttaboySecret, you can get instant access to over 50 bonus editions of this very podcast, featuring reviews and radio plays, along with special film club screenings every month, where you and I watch a movie that you get to vote for. For more information and to sign up, which only takes a moment or two, go on over to patreon.com slash attaboysecret, or look for the link in the show notes. And thank you so much. <laughs> Well, goodness gracious me, welcome along to the centenary edition, the big one zero zero, the hundredth episode of this little podcast. Five years in the making, there've been highs, Canterbury, there've been lows, you have failed, monk. And my friends, you've been here for every single one of them, probably. But we got there. The words are now carved upon the rock. Attaboy Clarence is a hundred years old. And I could not be prouder. Thank you so much for sticking with me across the course of this little adventure. I know it hasn't always been the most regular podcast in terms of output. But I can assure you that at least 20 or 30 times a day, I do have the thought, Ooh, that'll be a good one for Attaboy Clarence. And so what comes next for this show? Where do we go from here? Up, of course. Yes, this show ain't going nowhere. Isn't that right, Suki? It better not go nowhere. I've just bought a new kennel on installments, I have. And so to kick things off for this whopper of a show, let's fly on over with Glenn Miller. Ooh, actually, perhaps not. Glenn Miller, ladies and gentlemen, with Little Brown Jug.
Glenn Miller there with Little Brown Jug. Fabulous. So, do you remember 100 episodes ago when I made the amazing decision that I've never regretted ever since I made it to record a podcast and pretend to be a radio DJ from the 1970s? Hello and welcome to Attaboy Clarence. My name's Adam, and this is a new weekly podcast for classic movie and old-time radio fans like myself. Good heavens! I will never stop apologising for it. And weekly? Ha! You optimistic fool. Arguably, the show did not find its groove until the second instalment, in which I talked about one of my favourite movies of all time. The second episode of Attaboy Clarence remains the most downloaded episode ever. Can't think why. I've also been watching 1945's. The Brighton Strangler, which I've re,、um, viewed on the site. If you want to go and have a look, I love this film. I love The Brighton Strangler. Who wouldn't want to watch a film called The Brighton Strangler? It's in Brighton. There's a strangler. That's kind of it. It's great. It's really, really good. It's a good film. You need to go and have a look at this film, The Brighton Strangler. I can't believe there's anyone out there now who doesn't want to see that film, The Brighton Strangler. There's everything you need to know in that title, and it's. Brilliant. There are some terrible, terrible scenes of dialogue. There's a scene at the beginning where the entire back history of Reginald Parker is laid out by him and his fiancée in his dressing room. Four thirty on the dot. Just time to get you to Victoria Station, my darling, and for a kiss too. Well, if you're so much in love with him, then as the author of the play, you ought to be able to make him go on with it. My dear fellow, Dorothy has far less influence with me as an author. Than as a fiance, isn't that so, my sweet? But you're still playing to capacity. And so tired, believe me, of strangling people three hundred times in a row. Poor darling. Sometimes I'm surprised you don't strangle me after speaking those lines of mine night after night. Poor darling, my foot. Your place put him on top. And after all, it is a success, isn't it? Show no boy, it's no use. This may sound hammy, but I just can't bear playing a strangler any longer. Thanks for making me a star, and Dorothy Dearest. Thanks for writing the corniest of thrillers. <laughs> I promise to make it up to you in the new play. I'm writing it for the real you. So now you know the real me. A year ago, it was you who insisted on casting me as the Brighton Strangler. You said I was the perfect type. <laughs> It's all about an actor called Reginald Parker who's starring in a film called,、uh, not a film,、uh, a play called The Brighton Strangler on the London stage, and. Uh, an air raid happens、uh, and、uh, hits the theatre. A piece of masonry falls on his head, and when he wakes up, he thinks he's the character from the play, the Brighton Strangler. So he goes to Brighton and starts strangling people. There's a very, it's very specific, of course.、Uh, in the play, the character Edward Grey is the strangler, and he was double-crossed years before by the Lord Chief Mayor and、um, the Chief of Police. So he goes to Brighton and strangles those two. For real, it's brilliant. There's so many good scenes in it. My favourite scene of all is when he's hit on the head. He wakes up and he does that old movie thing, where if they're hurt or、uh, don't know where they are, then they put one hand on the head, close their eyes and sway gently. And when they walk along the street, they do what my friend Nigel calls triangular walking. You know, one step forward, and then it's, it's like a solo waltz. You know. So imagine that he's solo waltz, triangular walking down a bomb street, one hand on his head, swaying gently with his eyes closed. But what happens is he's approached by a few people. You know, like a lady will come up and say, "Nice weather we're having, ain't it?" And he says, "Nice weather." You know, and she says, "Oh yes, I'm glad you agree with me." 
And then a, a guy will come along and say, Oh, you better get in, sir. It's, get, it's getting dark. Getting dark. Yes, that's what I said. Yes, go along there. Anyway, he ends up at the train station. He walks past a... Walks, walks past a poster for Canterbury. Canterbury! Canterbury. Uh, and then, all of a sudden, he hears a lady asking, you know, First class to Brighton. First class to Brighton, he says, while his eyes are closed and he's swaying next to the ticket office. Did you say first class to Brighton, sir? First class to Brighton. Oh, that'll be two and six. You know, and he's, uh, it's just brilliant. Uh, you know, no one notices. <laughs> no one notices that he's bombed. He's been bombed. <laughs> he manages to get to Brighton. <laughs> he strangles two people. <laughs> I love this film so much. <laughs> Going to rain. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. You have to watch it. Unfortunately, you can't buy it on DVD. You can't buy it from Amazon. You can't buy it anywhere. I bought a copy from some disreputable film dealer, you know, five or six years ago. So I've got a copy. If you want to come around and watch it, just please do. <laughs> it's such a great film. <laughs> Excuse me, but would you like a boiled sweet? Like a boiled sweet. <laughs> it goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> Can we give you a lift somewhere, Mr. Grey? Lift somewhere. <laughs> yes. But where would you like to go? Like to go. Oh, I think we'd better take you to a hotel. Do you have a hotel? Have a hotel. <laughs> it's just dump him at a hotel. <laughs> it's genius. You have to watch it. <laughs> Please watch it. Please try and find it. Or come to my house or something. You have to watch this. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. The, the the poster is brilliant as well. You know, there's no, no messing around. There's a pair of hands tightening a rope. There's a picture of <laughs> There's a picture of June Dupre. <laughs> There's a picture of June Dupre fiddling with her earring. <laughs> Looking really boss eyed. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <clears throat> and then there's a picture of John Loder. He looks like he zipped his junk up. <laughs> The Brighton Strangler. You have to watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. Yes, the Brighton Strangler, without which this podcast would perhaps not exist, and which gave birth to the now infamous phrase Canterbury, which has come to be known as an audio blessing of sorts. Yes, if you've sent in a question I've liked, if you've said something nice, if you've gotten in touch and asked for one, then you join a hallowed and very exclusive list of Canterbury recipients. But it wasn't enough to merely recycle the same old Canterbury over and over again. Come with me now as we go on a journey of discovery through the annals of Canterbury history. Canterbury. Now listen very carefully. I shall see. Canterbury. Only when. Canterbury. Canterbury. But what I do have 
are a very particular set of Canterbury's. Canterbury's. I have acquired over a very long career. Canterbury's. That make me a nightmare for people like you. Canterbury's. 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 David Kalenda. Listen to them. Children of the night. What? Canterbury. They The multi-layered and ever-expanding history of the Canterbury blessing there. Who knows? Maybe in the future you will receive this rarest of gifts. Basically, you just need an email read out on the show, so don't be shy. Hey, you'll never guess what happened. Last month, I took a trot down to London to a very famous broadcasting house. And who did I find there? Yes, your friend and mine, the incredible researcher for the secret history of Hollywood and frequent guest on this very podcast, Miss Brooke Darnell, who was visiting our shores with her husband, famous writer and artist Kevin Panetta. And so, of course, we jumped straight into one of Ace producer Dominic DeLaghi's BBC studios. And after high-fiving and jumping around in excitement for 10 minutes, we actually chatted face-to-face. Brooke Darnell, she's a very clever mademoiselle. When you need some information found, she's half librarian and half bloodhound. <laughs> this is so weird. For the first time in my life, I'm sat opposite Brooke Darnell, all the way from Washington. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You're amazing. This is cool. You're in the... I know. It's crazy. It's brilliant. So are you enjoying your trip? I am. I'm having a great time. And when are you here till? Okay. Oh. Sat in nameless recording studio <laughs> in Portland Place. <laughs> so tell me about your trip so far. How long, how long have you been here and when are you going back? So I got here Thursday and we're leaving Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And you're here with your husband, Kevin. Yes. Famous uh, graphic artist, writer, Kevin Panetta. Yes. So <laughs> I, I just asked him, are you seeing his books all over the place? Because his new book is Bloom. Yes. And it's, you're seeing it at bookshops. Yeah, they had it at Foils, like on a table. Wow. Prominently displayed. <laughs> I'm a little bit in awe of him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so where have you been? What's been like the best part you've seen so far? Well, we went to the London Transport Museum's mm-hmm. um, depot in Acton. And I think that's where they store all the things that they're working on mm-hmm. or they can't put in the museum itself. 
Um, you could go in the trains and uh, push all the buttons and things. So any, was... any like, film places or anything to do with film you've been so far? We saw some blue plaques. Yeah? Um, with Good. Wilkie Collins. Mm-hmm. Um, my hotel's right next to where he lived, and he's my favorite author. So wow. That's great. Was that on purpose, or was that just that? No, I didn't even know. <laughs> I just walked by. <laughs> cool. So I think uh, our producer knows where. Is it Boris Karloff's childhood residence or something? <laughs> He says, I think I'm on air. Am I? Can yeah, you, you are. Me? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, but now you're not. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I th- I'm not sure. I think it's Boris Karloff's. He lived there at some point in his life. Okay. Um, it so, might have been uh, when he came back to Britain to film during the 30s. Yeah, I can. Um, I can probably find it. I was looking at it before. It's near the pub. Yeah. So uh, it's so nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm, you I'm as well. really shy. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you for all your research. Oh, you're It's awesome. unbelievable. Like, everyone keeps saying to me, Shadows is a really great series. And, like, it, it, it's a great series now. But when, we first, when I first started, all I had was the story. But you've totally given him a soul Aww. because of all the stuff you found. And half of the stuff you sent, I haven't even been through yet. Oh, is there a more? Bit late. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've got, like, one episode left to do it. Um, is there more from him at the Library of Congress that, that you haven't gone through or no one's gone through yet? So they gave me access to um, some unprocessed letters. Mm. And I don't think those had been opened They're ever. the ones you sent last time? Yes. Yeah. And I have another bunch of those that I can send you as well. Wow. That's so cool. But they, they were so <laughs> stiff and like hard. Like I couldn't, I had to hold them down mm. to open them and take a picture of them. Right. But um. His whole personality is in those letters. Yeah. So now when I'm getting to the end, I've just done episode 10 and I've recorded it. I'm editing it at the moment. And I've got one more to go after this. And there's no way it would have ended or been as, what's the word, as nuanced as, as it is without all of that personal information. Oh, wow. It's so cool. You've completely <laughs> changed the series. It's brilliant. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so are you going to help me with Cary Grant too? Yes. Awesome. They don't have his papers because his papers are in California. Okay. But I've been going through the newspapers, magazines. Um, have you? Yeah. Already? So I've already got a bunch of stuff. Um, he was very scared of horses. Was he? He wouldn't even stand next to them. Good old Carrie. Yeah. Um, that's I, all I remember is the scene from Suspicion at the beginning where, there's, where he's standing with a horse and it's like jumping around. That must have been like his worst. Terrifying. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really interested in his... Uh, wife. Which one? <laughs> the one that was the heiress. Um, so I just got through the first divorce. She was so rich that they used to call them Cash and Carrie. Oh, wow. Um, Barbara Hutton? Barbara Hutton. Yeah, I don't think I've gotten there yet. Because mm. I'm trying to go sequentially, so it'll be in order for you. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know about his mother? His no. M- no, not his mother. Oh, okay. That's a good story. Is that what that, there's like a really sad movie that he's in with his mom? Oh, yeah. None but the Lonely Heart. Is that about? Ethel Barrymore. Does it have anything to do with that? Maybe. Maybe it was like therapy on film. But anyway, yeah, loads of cool stories like that about him. So you're getting loads of um, requests for research now, aren't you? Some. Mm. Not very interesting. No? (laughs) The guy, guy, is it Clive? Oh, Clive Dawson. He Mm. says, I met with him Friday, um, and he said to give you his best. Oh, he's nice. Yeah, he was very nice. Oh, cool. He used to be an animator. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Anything I know or might know? He didn't say, but it was before things went digital. 
Any any plans to go into animation, Kevin? <laughs> no. <laughs> you can tell him the thing that Clive told us about uh, the animation and the black cat or cat people. Oh yeah, he took a um, screen capture. Hmm. There's animation in. Um, this is like a dream sequence, people. isn't there? Yeah. yeah, but there's in, two, in the pool sequence, and then there's a dream sequence as well. Ah, is it uh, like a shadow? Yeah, the but there's like sequence. some shape in there that they put, and he said it was animation. Ah, okay. Because uh, the, the story is that's Jack Turner's fist, but it doesn't look like a fist at all. And I've always thought, no, it doesn't look like a fist. Like it doesn't, it's too, it just sort of morphs, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I do, I do know what you're talking about. But he said that they worked with Disney and they might have just sent it over and had some stuff. Wow. It, yeah. So Walt Disney's in Cat People. Well, his company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. I'm surprised you didn't turn that fact up. <laughs> it's knowledgeable. <laughs> so we're going to go and have some lunch and things in a bit. Yes. What's your favorite, like, oldish song for the special 100th episode of Attaboy Clarence? So for the special 100th episode of Attaboy Clarence, here's It Might As Well Be Spring by Ella Fitzgerald. I'm as restless as a willow in a windstorm. I'm as jumpy as a puppet on a string. I'd say that I had spring fever, but I know it isn't spring. I am starry-eyed and vaguely discontented, like a nightingale without a song to sing. Oh, should I have spring fever when it isn't even spring? I keep wishing I were somewhere else, walking down a strange new street. I'm a man I've yet to meet I'm as busy as a spider spinning daydreams I'm as giddy as a baby on a swing I haven't seen a crocus or a rosebud Or a robin Thank you. Yes, as you may have been able to tell from the brevity of that conversation, we were less inclined to sit in a hot studio talking and more inclined to go out and get quite literally lost in London. We did end up finding Boris Karloff's birthplace, though, which is now a fish and chip shop. But I must be allowed to batter this haddock. 
My eternal thanks to Brooke Darnell, the very clever mademoiselle, who's just as wonderful in real life, and also a big hi to Kevin Panetta, who you heard briefly there, and of course to producer Dom Dominic Delaghi, who's just excellent. Love you all. Well, without further ado, let's hear about a movie, shall we? I was in the mood for some MGM glamour. Clark Gable and Myrna Loy, I thought to myself. Running around an art deco hospital in the 30s, I thought to myself. That'll be amazing, I thought to myself. I bet that's a laugh a minute. In actual fact, what I got was a very gritty, ultra-downbeat drama about the responsibilities of a crusading doctor, peppered with, oh, let's see, infidelity, incisions, some quite surprising descriptions of women's breasts, and abortions. A new school of therapy. All I want you to do is alone it. No! And I'll fix you up a date with the redhead. Oh, fix him up. Ah, oh, he's in love. That's the trouble with being in love. Killed your sex life. You know, I was in love once Dr. myself. Bradley. That's the thing Dr. I like Bradley. about you, Pete, is your romantic nature. Dr. Bradley. Dr. Bradley. Dr. Bradley speaking. Okay, I'll be right up. Yep. At heart, I'm just a dreamer. At heart, you're just a stinker. Thanks. You're welcome. You going upstairs, Pete? Yeah. Can you take this up to Path Lab? Ask Finn to examine it and drop a report. Okay, thanks. Pete, I take back what I said. You're not a stinker. You're a great guy, will you? No. Stinker. So this is Men in White from 1934, and just in time to be called pre-code as it came out in April. And boy, howdy, is it pre-code. In a nutshell, you have Clark Gable as a Dr. Kildare-type doctor, but very glum. He's very glum indeed. He's engaged to society gal Myrna Loy, who doesn't care about Gable's medical career. She just wants him to come to parties. By the way, where is he? Operating room? Busy? Oh, hockey. I want to see him. I haven't had a real kiss for days. Gad, they make a slave out of that boy, and he doesn't get a dime. He's not here for the money. He's here to learn. Oh. And the harder he works, the more he learns. When he comes with me, his pay is going to be $20 a week. But there's a chance to work. The man who's there with me now works from 16 to 18 hours a day. George is a fine boy with great promise. The next five years are crucial years in that boy's life. They're going to tell whether he becomes an important man or not. He's an important man right now, Hoppy, to me. Yes, to you. Oh, I don't count. When he throws her over one night so that he can perform a life-saving operation instead, she decides to go out with some other guy, which results in grumpy Dr. Gable falling into the arms of beautiful young idealist nurse Barbara Denham, played by Elizabeth Allen. I'm tired of work and sweat and blood and pain. Chapman 401 is dead. Levine's wife is going to die. One begins to wonder why anything makes any difference. Yes, and you get so lonely. And you feel, tomorrow it's me. And the only thing that matters is just being alive. Just being alive now. But he does more than just fall into her arms. In fact, he accidentally knocks her up. Rather than risk a scandal which could hurt Gable's career, Nurse Denham goes to a back-alley doctor for a quick abortion. But the doctor she goes to is not that skilled, and before you know it, Nurse Barbara is on Gable's operating table in need of a life-saving operation. How is she? Temperature? 106. Delirious? She was before. She kept calling for you. For me? Yes. So? Better wait. Dr. Hochberg's in there. She's quiet now. If you go in there, she might start talking. You wouldn't want that, would you? Why didn't she come to me? Why didn't she tell me? 
Why did she keep away? It was my fault. I told her that you were in love with someone else and engaged to be married, to keep away from you. Amid all that bonanza, you have the many smaller stories of the hospital and its inmates. I mean, when I put it on, I did expect another Dr. Kildare adventure, but with different actors. Dr. Kildare is so, so good. I love it to death. I will happily die on this hill proclaiming how good Dr. Kildare is. This is very good too, but by crikey, it's downbeat. In a good, dramatic way, not in a Game of Thrones season 8 type way. I mean, this actually makes sense and takes its time and ties up all the loose ends. And I have to give it props for pulling off a very taut and very unexpected finale which saw me tearing up and then watching in horror as the characters that are left go off to their separate destinies. I'm talking about Men in White still, by the way, not Game of Thrones. I've not seen Elizabeth Allen in much before, but my goodness, she was a beautiful woman. You can tell she's going to be important to the story from the start, because during a critical scene where a child is given too much insulin and might die, the camera inexplicably keeps doing close-up shots of her face, all lovingly framed and soft focus. I thought to myself, either a different film has been edited in here by mistake, or she's very important. And it's weird to see Myrna Loy as a spoiled brat. Usually, she's the one with the common sense, but she's ultra dislikable here, at least for the first half of the film. So I do recommend Men in White. Hell yes, I do. As far as pre-code dramas go, this one still has the power to shock. So do give it a whirl. Well, if you're a Dark Pages aficionado, you'll have seen that an all-new supersized edition has just come out. It has news about all the newest DVD and Blu-ray releases. It has a review of Phantom Lady with Ella Raines, which I adored, if you remember my review from a while back. The TCM picks of the month include The Prowler and Detour. I'm talking about The Prowler on my next bonus show, which is out in a few days. It is amazing. And there's a noir-themed crossword puzzle. That sells it instantly for me. If you'd like your free copy of the world's finest film noir magazine, then go on over to www.allthatnoir.com and grab your sample. If you are a noir fan, then you owe it to yourself to do so. While I'm recommending very fine publications for you all, the good people over at the Fix It Home Improvement podcast have asked me to let you know that their new ebook. What Every Homeowner Should Know, Volume 7, is out at Amazon, which is great news. I always seem to find something useful in their books. And finally, of course, if you don't know yet, the new episode of The Secret History of Hollywood is out now in all good podcast apps, Shadows, The Resurrection Men, the story of Val Luton's The Body Snatcher, and the penultimate episode in the Shadows series. Only one more to come, so if you haven't caught up yet... Go on over and do so. Well, one of the most enduring tropes to feature on this podcast has always been the vintage ads, and they began here all the way back on episode 10. Do you remember this? I've often wondered, as I'm sure all of you regularly do, what is the best hat advert? If only someone would compile the top five hat adverts, or hatverts, if you will. Wish granted. History's five greatest hat birds. Number five. Dr. Weird, I'm breathless. You mean 
the beginning of my story has you excited? Well, yes, but it isn't only your story that leaves me breathless, Doctor. It's those Adam hats so many men are wearing this season. Gentlemen, I honestly doubt whether you'll see hats with more distinctive styles, fine quality material, and bright jaunty shades. They're like a new breath of life. And such variety. Number four. Did you have a Merry Christmas yesterday? Young man, don't mention Christmas to me. Why, what's the matter, Doctor? I was hoping to get a skeleton this year, but... Oh, Dr. Weird, I know just how disappointed you are. And gentlemen, if you were hoping for an Adam hat this Christmas, but didn't get one, I can sympathize with you, too. Number three. Uh, Do you always think of horrible, terrifying things? No. Only last evening I was out getting a breath of air. Ah, you breathe. Yes. And I saw some Adam hats. They were fine-looking hats. I walked in, tried one on. And what do you think? What? I look just like a person. Number two. Uh, Dr. Weird, before you give us the second half of tonight's tale... Can you tell me why you're called doctor? Easy. When people listen to this program, I show them how to avoid such uh, unhealthy things as being murdered and... uh, Well, somehow, doctor, I doubt whether that would cure anybody of anything, especially a case of nerves. But I'd like to tell the men in our audience how to cure something that can be cured. It's old hat-itis. Being addicted to the same old weather-beaten hat. The only real remedy for old hat-itis is to go out and get yourself a good new hat, or two or three. Now, Adam hats are priced so sensibly, only $3.45 to $10, you'll easily be able to afford more than one. Number one. Say, uh, Dr. Weird, what kind of a doctor are you? Well, I'm an M.D. of a different kind. Doctor of Madness. And I am a D.H. Doctor of Hats. Hello to any hat doctors out there, by the way. Yes, the top five hatverts of all time. A seminal moment in this podcast's beginnings and talking of wonderful vintage ads. It seems girls who wear body language feel prettier than girls who wear ordinary half-cup bras. Oh, I don't think we can possibly hear this advert unless we dust off an old friend. Proceed. It seems girls who wear body language feel prettier than girls who wear ordinary half-cup bras. So that girls who wear body language have to say no rather more often than girls in ordinary half-cup bras. There's a gentleman at the bar who wants to know if you'd marry him. No. Body language by Playtex. Wear it, and you may have to say no more often. Wow, that's a Lulu. (laughs) Hey, do you remember this moment from episode 20? Isn't it weird that the name Humphrey just kind of disappeared with Bogart? It's as though the entire planet decided that no one would ever again be cool enough to pull off that name. So the, the only people you see nowadays with the name Humphrey are those retired peers of the realm who pronounce it Humphrey and sort of pot around the garden in their slippers, watering their plants and singing songs they've just heard for the first time on BBC Radio 2. So please, for once in one's life, let one get what one wants. Lord knows 
It would be the first time. I've often wondered which other Radio 2 type hits Hamfrey would have covered if I'd given him a little more airplay. One will, one will rock one. Talking of things that fell by the wayside, do you remember the email song? E-M-A-I-L spells email. One day in my inbox tray, someone tried to sell to me medicine to heal my impotence. Buy two, get one free. This made me feel strange and slightly scared of my sexual powers, but I learned to carry on. And now my inbox is safe and warm. Emails from you and me to say hello, I like your hyperbole. About all kinds of old movies, does this earn me a Canterbury? Key change, very frightening. I send you this telegram. Please mark it as not spam. I just watched a fair in Trinidad. It wasn't that bad. Send from my iPad. Channeling my best Julio Iglesias impression there. I think I received more complaints about that song than anything else in this show's history. I wouldn't mind so much, but they all seemed to think that I was seriously trying to sing that as though I was hoping it would be a stepping stone to a future musical career. Believe me, I am well aware that I cannot sing, which is kind of the joke. Yes, no more complaints about my singing, please, or I'll double the amount of songs I sing per show. Right, on to another movie. I decided to go a bit more modern. Yes, I went all the way to the end of the 1950s for the next film today, The Bat from 1959, starring Vincent Price and Agnes Moorhead. This is the Oaks, a house in the country which I rented for the summer. As an author, I write tales of mystery and murder, but the things that happened in this house were far more fantastic than any story I've ever had published. I brought a staff of servants from my city apartment and my maid Lizzie Allen, who had been with me nearly 20 years. A small town is being terrorized by a serial killer known as the Bat, a man with very little face who murders women at night by ripping out their throats with his steel claws. Good heavens, so far, so nightmare on Elm Street. Also, he has bats, which he throws at people. Do that if you can, Freddy Krueger. It just so happens that in the town is a famous mystery author, Cornelia Van Gorder, if you please, played by Agnes Moorhead, who's rented a big old creepy house that everyone in the whole film seems to find themselves at, including a crooked doctor, a gossiping maid, a hunk, a beautiful dame, a policeman with white hair, and the bat. From his appearance, I'd say that he doesn't have any infection. In which case, you've had a narrow escape. Now, you take one of those tablets I left for you, and I'll guarantee you a good night. And I'll drop in on you tomorrow. Oh, thanks for everything, Doctor. Now, don't worry. I can find my way out. Oh, I know you can, but do let me help you. Oh, 
Don't forget that once I'm gone, you'll have to climb those stairs alone. Oh, I'm all right. I'm armed now. Can you uh, shoot one of those things without shutting your eyes? Oh, Doctor, there are guns in every book I've ever written. I don't write about things I'm unfamiliar with. <laughs> you can guess what happens. Yes, they all get picked off one by one, and you are left wondering who is the bat and who is not the bat. I don't think I'll ever get bored of seeing ensemble casts running around creepy old houses getting picked off one by one. I think it's the bread and butter of cinema. I mean, slasher films are basically that, but on a larger scale. And the charm of seeing that gubbins on screen is given an extra sheen of wow by the inclusion of Vincent Price and Agnes Moorhead, who I have to say is in a slightly more subdued mode. I mean, if you've listened to her hysterics in Sorry Wrong Number or seen her batch performances in Bewitched or Dark Passage, you'll more than likely be expecting another shrill ball of energy. She's definitely more in sleuth mode here. As for Vincent Price, the same applies. No theatrics here. It's very quiet. It's a very chatty performance. None of the delicious malevolence of later hammy performances and just outside of the matinee idol roles of the 40s. A strange netherworld of calm from Price. As mysteries go, it's fairly engaging. I mean, it's not a life-altering film. It's not a profound philosophical experience like The Brighton Strangler, for instance. But it will hold your attention for an hour or so. The best thing about the film is the tagline. Okay, the tagline is... The bat. When it flies, someone dies. You want to know why that's the best tagline of all time? Because you can make it even more interesting by switching it round. The bat. When it dies, someone flies. Imagine that particular film, if you will. Picture the scene. Somewhere in the Louisiana swamplands, a bat falls to the floor and gasps its last breath. On the other side of the world, Neville from Coventry is sat on the toilet in his local gymnasium when a terrifying phenomenon occurs. When it dies, someone flies. <laughs> God, the possibilities are endless. Gosh, it's the amazing Dr. Clitterhouse all over again. Remember that? Och, I the new, I hae a second film to tell ye of. Tis a wee bonny bonny gangster film from 1938. And it has quite possibly the most innuendo-tastic title of any film. It's called The Amazing Dr. Clitterhouse. Your mind swims with possibility. Clitterhouse. 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 Anyway, aside from the central mystery, the gaggle of guest stars and the Batman-esque theme tune, the Bat is a perfectly fun little murder mystery with a nasty little edge. I mean, when you think of old movies, you seldom think of murderers with Freddy Krueger gloves. And yet here it is. I guess 1959 was almost that gateway into the more permissive age. A long way from the lightning and the plastic bats of 30s Universal. Things were a little grittier and more visceral, but also one foot in the past. I mean, this is basically the cat and the canary, but with Freddy Krueger. And if that doesn't sell it to you, then nothing will.
was Teresa Brewer singing a song called Music. And music, music. Pardon me? Music, music. Where? The the song. It was called Music, Music, Music. I heard you the first time. You don't have to keep saying it. So anyway, Suki, we made it to episode 100. How many episodes is that in dog years? Um, it's about 14, I think. Not very impressive, really, is it? 14's not much of a milestone. I mean, aside from being the number of pieces that the body of Osiris was torn into by his fratricidal brother Set, and being the earliest age that the emancipation of minors can occur in the US, what other things have happened 14 times? Apart from police academy movies. Um, Number of times Arnold Schwarzenegger has become a father? He only has five children. That we know of. Anyway, I wanted to tell you something. What did you want to tell me? That you've left a present in my shoe? No. That you've eaten my baseball cap? No, it's just... That you think you saw a burglar at the window last night, but it turned out to be a picture of my father on the wall? No. That you've written a musical tribute to your screen idol, Beethoven the dog? No. Well, yes, but that's not the thing. I wanted to tell you that I love you very much and that I really enjoyed being on your podcast show. Oh. 
Right, well, it's been my honour, and I love you too. And thank you for making me famous. My Tinder profile is busier than Build-A-Bear on Black Friday, which incidentally is almost the exact description of myself on Tinder. That's really great to know. So let's take a listen, shall we, to some of my best bits from the last hundred episodes. Roll the tape. Uh, what tape? The tape of my best bits from the last hundred episodes. The tape. The best bits tape. It's called a retrospective, darling. Yes, of course, and the tape. Ha ha ha, I'm only joking. I know you didn't make a tape. Well, I was going to, but time just sort of... So I made one for you. You you made one for... It's in Brighton, there's a strangler. That's kind of it. The Brighton Strangler. I can't believe there's anyone out there now who doesn't want to see that film. The Brighton Strangler. There's everything you need to know in that title. Yes, The Brighton Strangler is indeed a film about a madman on the loose, but it's also a film about the complexities of being a human being and of the madness hidden inside all of us. Next up is Zenobia, starring Oliver Hardy and an elephant. I don't know what's sadder really, the sight of an elephant being shouted at for 73 minutes or Hardy without Laurel. I have to disagree with you because Zenobia is the best film that I've ever seen in the world because it has an elephant that sits on someone's hat and that's a very funny thing to happen to a hat. You are a failure, you are, monk. You got a friend in me. So I found a gossip column from the motion picture Herald. And so it starts off talking about like different things that were going on with Clark Gable and Greta Garbo. And then it goes into the set of Todd Browning's The Freaks. And it talks about how the bearded lady doesn't like the Siamese twins because the Siamese twins are pretty girls and are allowed to eat at the MGM commissary. Ha ha, yes, Brooke Darnell. That is a very funny and clever thing that you just said and I understand it completely because I am a genius, I am. Maybe you want a question? Plant it inside a flower pot. One day you'll get a question tree. Wow, I don't seem to remember those moments happening. That's because you have a terrible memory. Yes, that must be it. Anyway, thank you once again for letting me be on the podcast. It's my honour, Suki. Now I'm going to go into the garden and chase that burglar away. Go away, burglar! Oh, it's all right. It's not a burglar. It's your car! In tropical climes there are certain times of day When all the citizens retire to take their clothes off and perspire It's one of those rules the greatest fools obey Because the sun is far too sultry And one must avoid its ultraviolet ray The natives grieve when the white men leave their huts Because they're obviously, definitely nuts Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. The Japanese don't care to, the Chinese wouldn't dare to. Hindus and Argentines sleep firmly from 12 to 1. But Englishmen deter stars, siesta. In the Philippines, they have lovely screens to protect you from the glare. In the Malay states, there are hats like plates which the Britishers won't wear. 
At twelve noon, the natives swoon and no further work is done. But ne'er dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. It's such a surprise for the Eastern eyes to see that though the English are effete, they're quite impervious to heat. When the white man rides, every native hides in glee. Because the simple creatures hope he will impale his solar topee on a tree. It seems such a shame when the English claim the earth that they give rise to such hilarity and mirth. <laughs> Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. The toughest Burmese bandit can never understand it. In Rangoon, the heat of noon is just what the natives shun. They put the scotch or eye down and lie down. In a jungle town where the sun beats down to the rage of man and beast, the English garb of the English sub merely gets a bit more creased. In Bangkok, at twelve o'clock, they foam at the mouth and run. But mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. Mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. The smallest melee rabbit deplores this foolish habit. In Hong Kong, they strike a gong and fire off a noonday gun to reprimand each inmate who's in late. In the mangrove swamps by the python romps, there is peace from twelve to two. Even caribous lie around and snooze, for there's nothing else to do. In Bengal, to move at all is seldom if ever done. But mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday, 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 sun. Wonderful stuff. That was Mad Dogs and Englishmen by Noel Coward, which could almost be the alternative title for this podcast. On to a movie that was recently recommended to me by Mallory Somerville, one of the premier Golden Age devotees on Twitter. God bless her soul. If Mallory's a fan, then it must be good, I thought. So I took myself away and watched My Name is Julia Ross. And oh my goodness. The weird thing about this is that the following is not actually a review because I can't review this without ruining it. So I find myself in a terribly awkward position. The best way to pique your interest in this movie, I think, is to describe the first five minutes. And let's see what you think. So the story opens with Julia Ross, played by Nina Fock, who's down on her luck and whose name you have to say very carefully, going to an employment agency. Why did you come to London, Miss Ross? A London doctor was recommended to me. And you've quite recovered from your operation by now. Oh, quite, quite. I'm strong as an ox. You don't look it. You live with your family? No, I have no family. No husband? No young man? No. You're sure? Well, of course I'm sure. <laughs> I ask these personal questions because I have one very lucrative position open to a young woman with no family responsibilities. No romantic attachments. Mrs. Williamson Hughes, 190 Henrik Square. Mrs. Hughes has already had three secretaries from this office this year. Just as she was getting accustomed to each one, the girl would leave her because of a sick mother or a sister to care for or a young man. This time, Mrs. Hughes wants a girl who could definitely promise to stay at least a year. Oh, I'm sure I could. I have no ties and no young man. I'm absolutely alone. Run-of-the-mill stuff. She has an interview. She meets her prospective employer, who asks her the standard set of questions. I think we shall suit each other very well indeed. Don't you, Miss Ross? I'll certainly try, Mrs. Hughes. Miss Ross seems to answer all her requirements, doesn't she, son? Well, that's for you to decide, Mother. 
I think we consider the matter settled. That is, uh, if the salary is satisfactory. Oh, indeed, it's more than generous. <laughs> then we'll expect you to move in tonight. Tonight? Oh, I see no sense in dilly-dallying once we've made up our mind, do you? The sooner you get settled, the better. I didn't know I was to live there. Mrs. Hughes always makes her secretaries very comfortable. They've all told me what a lovely house you have, <laughs> madam. I'm sure we shall do our best to make you happy with us. Now, you run along, pack your things, and we'll expect you in this evening. And, uh, just a little advance on your salary, just to bind the bargain. I really shouldn't. Oh, nonsense, my child. You take it and go shopping this afternoon. And then... Good. Have a nice time shopping. Thank you, I will. She's perfect. Mm-hmm. There's even a small resemblance. You've done very well, Sparks. Thank you, madam. Peters. Yes, Mrs. Hughes? Do you think she saw you? No, ma'am. No, I know she didn't, Mrs. Hughes. Well, see that you keep it that way, especially at the house. Well, we'd better hurry and close up the agency now. We shan't need it any longer. What the hell is going on? Here I was thinking this was going to be a typical story of a newly hired secretary who falls in love with her rich employer's son in glamorous surroundings. And instead, what you get is... Well, I can't actually tell you. Yes, for the first time in the history of this show, I can't actually tell you what to expect. I can't even tell you the genre of this film, because the less you know and the less you expect, the better. I can tell you about the cast, headed by, careful now, Nina Fock, who is excellent here. Supporting her as Mrs. Hughes is everybody's favourite golden age dame, Dame May Whitty, she of The Lady Vanishes. I can't tell you what type of role she has here, albeit to say that she is excellent also. I'm so, so sorry to dangle the carrot in this way, to put a film before you and then be so mysterious about it. But as I say, you need to go into this one blind. Don't look it up. Don't phone your pals to ask if they've seen it. Don't try and surmise the tone from the opening credits. Just rack it up, put it on, and prepare to be flabbergasted. That's 1945's My Name is Julia Ross. You will be astounded. Well, radio entertainment then. The question is what to pick for this special 100th edition of Attaboy Clarence. What to pick indeed? There are no radio versions of Men in White or My Name is Julia Ross or The Bat, but that's okay. Because actually, there's a particular episode of old-time radio that I've always regretted using so early in the life of this podcast because many of you will never have gone back that far and heard it. And quite honestly, that's a crying shame because it's one of my all-time favourites. And so, for this special episode, with your kind permission, I would like to rebroadcast that particular episode of old-time radio. It stars one of my all-time heroes of cinema, and it comes from one of the all-time hero series of radio. It's sly, it's wicked, it's devious, it's funny, and it's insanely entertaining. And so, ladies and gentlemen, bringing this podcast around in a circle, I would respectfully like to introduce Mr. Roland Young in an episode of Suspense that I first presented all the way back in episode one. An absolutely delightful comedy mystery entitled The Customers Like Murder. I will look forward to seeing you afterwards. Suspense. 
This is the man in black. Here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Our distinguished star this evening is that delightful gentleman, Mr. Roland Young, playing as author of detective novels, who invented his best plot when his life was at stake. With Mr. Young to play his long-suffering secretary is Miss Peggy Conklin. A story by John Dixon Carr in a somewhat lighter mood than is our habit and called The Customer's Like Murder is tonight's tale of suspense. If you've been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so with the customer's life murder and the performance of Roland Young, we again hope to keep you in... On a hot summer night in a village on the east coast of England, a famous writer of detective stories is dictating to his secretary... You have all heard of Mr. Gerald Hawkstone, celebrated author of Murder on the Wolfhead, Aconite at the Admiralty, Who Shot the Prime Minister, and other thrillers which have held us past the midnight hour. You have followed the exploits of Pendleton King, diplomat detective. Gerald Hawkstone lived quietly at Deal with his friend Dr. Roberts nearby in case he should need medical knowledge. And his pretty, if somewhat pert Canadian secretary... Miss Patricia Phillips. Gerald Hopstone would be a happy man, even in wartime, if it were not war. You got all that, Miss Phillips? Yes, Mr. Hawkstone. Good. New paragraph? Yes, Mr. Hawkstone. At the head of the great banqueting table, comma, the Lord Chief Justice staggered to his feet, full stop. His face was a ghastly whitish color, and his eyes had become glassy. Is he drunk, Mr. Hawkstone? <sighs> No, Miss Phillips, the Lord Chief Justice is not drunk. Sounds pretty cockeyed to me. For your information, Miss Phillips, the Lord Chief Justice has just been poisoned with curare because he discovered the identity of the master criminal. Is that clear? Yes, Mr. Hawkstone. But I wish you wouldn't do it. Do what? Well, in the last four books, Mr. Hawkstone, you have shot the Prime Minister, killed the Lord Chancellor with an axe, poisoned the Home Secretary, and blown up the First Lord of the Admiralty. Why don't you stop picking on the poor government and murder somebody else for a change? The Lord Chancellor, Miss Phillips, was not murdered with an axe. No, Mr. Hawkstone? Definitely no. He was beamed with the great seal and found dead on the woolsack. And there's another thing, Miss Phillips. Whether you talk like this because of a dense vacuum in what we will charitably call your mind... Really, Mr. Hawkstone? Or whether you are really making out what you might define as heart cracks, I don't know. But I don't want any more of it, do you hear? Just as you please, Mr. Hawkstone. I, I... Oh, Lord, where was I? His face was a ghastly whitish color, and his eyes had become glassy. Sounds like me. All right. A single choking cry escaped his lips, comma, and his body crumpled to the floor. Full stop. New paragraph. With one swift stride, Pendleton King had reached the fallen man. Mm-mm. He can't have done that, Mr. Hawkstone. Who can't have done what? Pendleton King. What about him? Well, on the last page, you had him sitting at the foot of the table. So he can't get there in one stride. Unless you want him to sail across the room like a kangaroo. 
There are times, Miss Phillips, when I should like to poison you with curare and dance on your grave. I was only trying to help. All right, change it, change it, strike it out. With hardly a second's delay, how's that? Comma. Pendleton King had reached the fallen man. Full stop. New paragraph. Quote. I feared it, comma. Close quote. He muttered. Full stop. Quote. Note the rigidity of the muscles. Exclamation point. Note the characteristic odor of you curare, which... Mm, that won't do, Mr. Hawkstone. Why not? Curare hasn't got any odor. Now, there, Miss Phillips, you've really gone too far. But I can't help that. It's true. If you will permit the small vanity, I am noted for the correctness of my medical knowledge. Who is murdering the Lord Chief Justice, you or I? You are. But you might murder him properly. Curare hasn't got any odor. I say it has. And I say it hasn't. Listen, Miss Phillips. I propose to settle this rather childish dispute by going next door and asking Dr. Roberts. Will that convince you? Curare hasn't got any odor. Anyway, the Lord Chief Justice wouldn't be mixed up in any such silliness as this. Silliness, eh? Yes, I said silliness. Read your evening paper. The Lord Chief Justice is sentencing some American gangster who got involved in a robbery over here. That's the sort of thing he really does. You're very fond of these gangster reports, aren't you? Yes, I am, because they're real. Real? Ha! Don't you say fa to me. Merely remarking, Miss Phillips, that with your usual ingenuity, you sidetrack the argument. I am going to see Dr. Roberts. That's not necessary, of course. My own knowledge of poisons is as great as that of any doctor. Doctor, far. And finally, kindly don't say far to me, either. When I return, Miss Phillips, I hope to find you in a better frame of mind. Please observe that I, at least, have been able to keep my temper. Excuse me. All right. Go on. See if I care. Excuse me, but... Uh, good evening, Mr. Hawkstone. Uh, good evening, Mrs. Roberts. May I come in? Of course. Mind the blackout curtain. My, isn't it hot and stuffy tonight? Rather close, yes. Is the um, doctor in? I'm afraid he isn't, Mr. Hawkstone. But I expect him back any minute. Oh, out on a call? No, I'm almost certain he isn't. Because that's his medicine case and stethoscope there on the table. I think he's just gone up the road to get some tobacco. Do you mind if I wait? Not at all. But uh, you will excuse me if I run along. I promised Mrs. Anderson I'd drop in there. It's her neuralgia again, and I'm terribly late already. Don't let me detain you, Mrs. Roberts. Go, go right ahead. I'm afraid you'll have to wait in George's consulting room. I've got most of the house dark so I could keep the windows open. You know which room it is? Yes. Yes, yes, I could, I could find it blindfolded. Oh, uh, and I wonder if you'd take the medicine case and stethoscope and drop them in the consulting room. George is so careless, he lets them lie about anywhere. Medicine case? Stethoscope, yes. As a matter of fact, I've always wanted to hang one of these things on my neck like this. <laughs> Look almost like a doctor, don't I? Good night, Mrs. Roberts. Good night, Mr. Hawkstone. See you later. Oh, so what I write is silliness, eh? And I don't know anything about poisons. And I call her Miss Phillips instead of Patricia. Ah, here we are. Uh, where's that light switch? Good Lord. Come on, Ed, Doc. Close the door. Who the deuce are you? 
You want to keep healthy, Doc? Just do what you're told. Come in and close the door. Is that by any chance a revolver you're pointing at me? Ain't no cigarette case. I'm warning you. Oh, hang. I've done it a thousand times in stories, but I never thought... Don't drop that junk you're carrying, either. You're going to need it, Doc, when you come along with me. Come along with you? Where? Just to see a guy, that's all. To see a... Oh, wait a minute. You don't think I'm the doctor? Now, look, Doc. I ain't got any time for gags, see? The boss says to bring you, so I bring you. There'll be a very sick man out there if you don't go. Yes, there'll be a very dead man out there if I do go. I tell you, old man, you're making a terrible mistake. Now, look, Doc. My name is Hawkstone. I live next door. I'm not a medical man, and I never... Somebody's coming. Philip. Now, then, Dr. Hawkstone, just look here in the encyclopedia. So you ain't a doctor, huh? That's done it. Just a real old-fashioned kidder, ain't you? (gasps) Now, you keep quiet, lady. You know, it's good for you. I know you. I've seen your picture. You're a big Louie Miller. Pretty smart I, I'm you sure got that's here, him. I, I... Listen, Mr. Hawkins. Take it easy, Miss Ruth. Big Louie Miller and Slats Kelly. Slats Kelly is the gang leader. Well, we're supposed to be friends of this gangster who's on trial in London now. But I hadn't heard they were in England. No, lady. Neither has anybody else. No, we'll for it. Who is this same Dr. Knight? No, she's my secretary. She doesn't know anything about this. She seems to know too much about it, if you ask me. Come on, lady. You're going with it. Going? Where? Just for a little ride, lady. Just for a little ride. Far out from the village, in flat and miry swampland, where pools of stagnant water gleam under the moon, stands the old Rutherford house. It is a desolate place, on the track of Field Marshal Goering's bombers when they cross the coastline. But there are no searchlights here, and no guns. Only the heat on the glimmering marshes and the decaying, weather-boarded house as a motor car approaches. Drive straight ahead, Doc. Right around to the back of the house. And remember, I still got this rod against the back of your neck. As a matter of fact, Louis, I'm rather enjoying this. All except the murder. What murder? We ain't gonna bump anybody off. Maybe, maybe, maybe not you, old boy, but I am. Don't wait till I get at your patient. I don't see how you can joke about this. I'm not joking, Miss Phillips. If Louis won't tell us what's wrong with the patient... Never you mind the patient, Doc. You just drive around here. Here, whoa. So... Right here. Oh. So this is the enchanted castle, eh? Climb out of here. Walk ahead of me over to that house. Come on, Miss Phillips. That's right, lady. You two, come on. Hey, hold on, Doc. Grab a can of this cleaning fluid here. You can help me carry it in. Cleaning fluid? Yeah, there's two cans of it. If I can carry one, then I need my other hand for this ride. Come on, come on, we ain't got all night. Get it out of the back seat. Professionally, this is a little out of my line of duty. What do you want with the cleaning fluid? The boss's suits get all messed up, so I clean them for him. I play nice maid and everything around here. Come on, now, straight ahead. Stop asking questions. You got this place blacked out, Louis. If the police don't get you, the air raid warden will. Forget it, Doc. We got this place so sealed up, they can hardly breathe inside. In here? That's right, lady. Go ahead. I'll close the door. I can't see, old boy. Which way? Here. Set that can down and follow me. You too, lady. Ah, right here with the curtains hanging over the door. Now, I want you to meet the boss. So I open the curtain like this. Howdy, Doc. Come right in. Glad to see you. I've been expecting you. Glad to see you, old man. I imagine you're the celebrated Mr. Kelly. That's me, Doc. 
flats, Kelly, to you. Glad to see you taking this nice and friendly. Louis, what's the idea of bringing in the dame? I couldn't help it, boy. Oh. She says nice. See, she was with him. And she knew who I was. She did, eh? I don't know anything. All I want to do is to go home. Ah, that's all right, sister. You'll go home all nice and friendly. As soon as I've had a little talk with the doctor. A talk about what? Well, we're not what you might call comfortable here, Doc. Well, we've got flashlights, canned food, plenty of liquor, portable radio that works on a battery. So we managed to get along. You know what I mean? I said a talk about what? Well, that's it. That's what I'm going to tell you. We pulled a snatch, see? You pulled a snatch? He means they, they, he means they kidnapped somebody. That's right, sister. You speak English. May I ask who was snatched? Well, I'll tell you, Doc, because it'll have you a big laugh. The guy we snatched was the big shot you call the Lord Chief Justice. You snatched the Lord Chief Justice? We sure did, Doc, and his clerk, too. They're in the room right over there. Such a trap, Louis. I didn't mean nothing, boys. I was only trying to... you hear me say such a trap? Okay. But, look, here, what, what was the idea behind this snatch? Well, I'll tell you, Doc. We got a pal, see? Well? Dominic Pirelli, his name is. He's up on a grand larceny rap, and Pirelli don't like Glimey Jails. He don't like him at all. Besides, the dirty little rat owes me 14G. So what do we do? Snatch the Lord Chief Justice, apparently. But why? Because the mouthpiece back home tells me long ago that a man can't be sentenced except for the judge that tried him. And the Lord Chief Justice is the judge who tried Dominic Ferrelli, is that it? That's right, Doc. But it ain't the main thing. This Chief Justice is a pretty important guy, see? So, what do we do? We write to the cops and say, now look, we got the old bird in a place where you'll never find him, and if you want to keep things nice and friendly, just spring Dominic Ferrelli. Bring him? Turn him loose. Sure. Bring Ferrelli and you'll get the old judge back in one piece. If you don't do it, you'll get him back with his head as full of holes as a Swiss cheese. And we're not kidding. This is horrible. I can't stand it. Take it easy, sister. Take it easy. You know, Slat, I admire you tremendously. You do, Doc. Why? Because you've invented a crazier idea than I ever did. Just what do you mean by that crack, Doc? You don't honestly think the government will make a bargain with you. I sort of think they will, Doc. I sort of think they will. But what if they don't? It'll be just too bad for a lot of people. You know what I mean? Why wouldn't I like to give that judge a going over? <laughs> Louis got a sort of a sort of a grudge against the old guy, Doc. Why wouldn't you have? Louis temperamental, see? He gets bored easy. So he says to the old guy and his clerk, he says, Can you play poker? Just says, sure. So they play poker from six in the evening to five in the morning. <laughs> and what do you know? If the old judge don't win all Louis dough. They rung in a cold back on me. That's how they done it. They're a couple of crooks. Are you accusing the Lord Chief Justice of playing poker with Mark Todd? He won my daughter. Shut up, Louis. Okay, boy. How did I blame Louis much? The things I've had to take from that judge. Well, that's where you come in, Doc. I was just wondering about that. Which one of them is... Uh... Hurt? Nobody hurt. Not yet. Then what the devil do you want with me? I want them kept quiet so they don't keep trying to escape. <clears throat> we can't get tough with them, not until I get Pirelli and my 14 Gs. And I want you to give him a hypodermic or something that'll keep him out cold for two days. Can you do that? Why, yes, I, uh, I don't know. I, I suppose I could. Oh, uh, over. Heaven's sake, be careful. Now, what do you use to dope him? Well, under the circumstances and, uh, considering all the, um, factors involved, I think I should use, uh, I should use morphine. Well, have you got any morphine in that black satchel? 
Oh, yes, 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 yes. Plenty of morphine. I, I always go about equipped for these little emergencies. Well, then open the satchel. Go on, open it. No. Well, there you are. Dozens of little bottles, anyway. Now then, Doc. Which one of them bottles is the one that has the morphine in it? I the the fact is that Come I on, come on. Which one is it? Listen, boss. Louie, how many times do I have to tell you to shut up? Yeah, but it's the midnight news. The news on the radio. You said you wanted to hear it. It's after midnight now. Why didn't you tell me? It's all right, boss. I switched the radio on. Well, then keep quiet, all of you. A couple of seconds now, you're going to hear some mighty sweet news. I wonder. So do I. Quiet. And that's us, ain't it? The kidnappers, stated Superintendent Hadley of the CID, seem to entertain a belief that no sentence can be passed on a criminal except by the judge who tried him. Whatever may be the law in certain American states, this is not the case here. Dominic Forelli, alias Dominic Stevens, was today sentenced by Mr. Justice Stoneman to 14 years hard labor and this evening entered Dartmoor Prison. Why, that's One moment, please. Don't cross a lawyer to me. Take it easy, boy. Take it easy. Kelly, he's as white as a ghost and his mouth is twisting back as though... Here is a bulletin just received. Scotland Yard Flying Squad cars, assisted by the constabulary of a county which for obvious reasons cannot be named, are closing in on the two kidnappers believed to be men already wanted in the United States for murder. That's us, Will anyone who has any further information about these men whose descriptions follow, communicate with New Scotland Yard, telephone number Whitehall 1212... Just wait till I get my hand. That's all right, boss. Everything's all right now. I turned it off. I turned it off. Can't do more than turn it off, Louis. I'll fix that thing. Hey, wait a minute, though, boss. Hey, don't bust the radio. Hey, Oh, you hadn't on the bus of the radio, boys. Now we can't get any news. We've had our news, Avery. Come on, put that light out. I want to look out the window. Oh, they're closing in. Patricia, you see, I can't call you that. Why couldn't you have called me that weeks ago? Oh, well, putting that aside, I started it as half a joke. But I'm not joking now. I intend to get that rat face slapped if it's the last thing I ever do. It probably will be. But how are you going to? First, Pendleton King, my dear. He's For got really, out of worse scrapes than this. 14,000 bucks gone! And the cops on our tail while we stand here yapping. You heard what that radio said, Louie. Yeah, I heard it, all right. Look, boss, we better lamb out of here while sure, it's we time. Will, Louis. Before we go, we settle things with the old guy in the yellow room. You can't get away with it, Louis. This is England. They'll hang you. So what? We got a murder rapper facing the States, ain't we? And I just as soon hang as fry? What about you, Louie? You said it, boss. Let me take this rod of mine, stick it against the back of the old guy's neck and... Oh, no, no, no. No rod. That's too easy. Easy? Sure. One slug and it's all over. This guy rates special treatment. And that's where the doctor comes in. You know anything about poisons, Doc? I know a good deal about poisons. The customers like murder. What's that? Oh, nothing. Just a slogan in my profession. Look, uh, Louis, do you remember the time Johnny Presco was running the old Third Avenue Social Club? Yeah. And Mike Delaney talks out of turn? And they feed him some white stuff called, uh, Strychnine? Oh, yeah. And sit around and light cigarettes and watch him die. It took four hours, Doc, and you could hear the rats screaming as far as 81st Street. Now, wait a minute, Slats. You can't... I can't, huh? We'll see. You got any of that white stuff, Doc? Well, I... Come on. I, I, you might. Got something I, I don't know. in that bag that'll make the old guy squeal now, haven't you? Why, yes, I, I suppose well, I listen, have, but... Listen, I'll... get this sure. You can do it the hard way, Doc, or you can do it the easy way. Louie gets to work on you. Maybe you'd be smarter to hand the stuff over right now. What do you say? I, uh... Listen, boy. Listen. <clears throat> What's the matter, Troubled by the heat? It is hot in here with all the windows sealed up. That sounds like planes. It is planes. British planes going over to put the heat on Germany? No such luck, old boy. German planes coming to bomb us. About, uh... About a dozen Heinkels flying 20,000 feet up. Mm-hmm. Very keen here, Miss Phillips. 
say, I'd say not over 15. That's the first wave set. There'll be another wave in a minute or two. But you needn't be alarmed. They're going somewhere else. They only... Jack, Louis, Jack! Well, how do you force them under the table already? Only a little visiting card set and fully a quarter of a mile away. Put out that light, Louis, and pull that curtain back off the window. Yeah, that's what's it. See what you can see. Okay. Do what I tell you, big luck. All right, all right. They can't see a thing. The sky's as black as pitch. Oh, look over there. Well, what is it? It's a light, boy. Funny kind of a white light. Up there over the tree. It's not very steady. It starts and then dims. And then it starts and dims. Only a basket of incendiary bombs, Louie. Incendiaries, eh? What is it, Jerry? You got an idea? Louie, this is just what we've been waiting for. Those Scotland Yard cars are going to get held up until we can settle things with those guys in the other room. Come along with me. Why don't you two lugs get smart? Jerry. What's that? You don't want to have your neck cracked on a rope, do you? Or burn in the electric chair back what home? You, what are you getting at? Why not take advice from somebody who's been killing people in a professional way for 15 years? I'm not in the mood for gags, Doc, but keep on talking. This law chief justice and his clerk, what do they look like? Well, the judge is a little guy with a bald head like me. And the other one is a big guy with a punch-drunk pan, like Louie. Why? I thought so. I've seen that photograph. When the next wave of planes comes over, and it will, why shouldn't an incendiary bomb hit this house? You mean you think I ain't too safe, sir? Be quiet, Louie. Go ahead, Doc. In other words, you leave the Lord Chief Justice and his clerk tied up in the other room. Then all you have to do is to set fire to the place. Justice cheated, Medlington gangsters die and blaze. Jerry Hawkstone, have you gone crazy? They may catch you eventually, yes. But it'll give you a few days' start. Hey, maybe you got something there, Doc. It's got to look good. This house must go up like a piece of paper in a furnace, past any possibility of being put out. Yeah, and that's the catch. Why so? This house is in the middle of a swamp, see? It's as damp as your own climate. You couldn't make it burn with a blowtorch. Oh, yes, you could. Aren't you forgetting the cleaning fluid? Cleaning fluid? In that other room, you've got two gallons of cleaning fluid. That's benzene, the derivative of petrol. Soak every inch of the floor of that room with it, every inch of it, mind, and the place will go up like tinder. Well, it's worth a try, Louis. Turn on your flashlight. Okay, boss. And, uh, what about you two, Doc? Afterwards? We're accessories, aren't we? Are we likely to talk? Better put a couple of slugs in them, boss, and drop them on the road. What's one or two more bumps in a spot like this? Maybe you're right at that. Well, anyway, Doc, thanks for a swell idea. You heard what the doc said, Louis. Get going with that cleaning stuff. Both of you had better do it. I'm warning you. Oh, why? Hear that? Because there isn't much time. Here they come. You can't have a fire start after the last wave of planes have gone over. Well, maybe you got something there, too. But I'll just take a little precaution first. What are you going to do? These are handcuffs, sister. Two of the neatest pair of cuffs we ever swiped off a dumb cop. Oh, well, just lock your arms around the back of the chair. Like this. And the doc's arms around the back of his chair. Like this. And we'll get going. Come on, Louis, through the curtain. Okay, I'm coming, boss. Bye-bye, Mr. Hawkstone. And your lady friend. Be saying you're in the funny papers. Go in the morgue. <laughs> long now. They must have everything in there soaked with that benzene by now. Jerry, I know you can't be completely crazy. Many thanks, my dear, for the qualification. You're right. They have soaked the place with benzene. And if they strike a match before... I know, I know you've, you've got some kind of a scheme, but 
Do you think it'll work? I don't know, my dear. I thought of it once for a story. Oh, you and your story. Me and my stories, as Louis will put it, may save our hides yet. But suppose it doesn't work. Then we're done for. What are you trying to do? There's a place to miss, boss. Here, I got Listen, Fisher. It's not working. But, but it's got to work. What's got to work? Four, no, five minutes. Must be at least that. They've, they've been pulling out that benzene an inch at a time all over What's the... What's that? What's the matter? Listen, listen. What's the matter, you big it's working, Patricia. I think our friends are lit. No. No, they're not. Slats is coming back. What? What? Trying to pull, Doc. What's the matter with Louis? What's the matter with me? You've lost the game, Slats. You're finished. Okay. I'm finished, am I? It's the benzene fumes, old man. To pour out a lot of cleaning fluid in an airtight room like that one is practically certain death. You know, Slats, you ought to learn more about crime. <coughs> no, you won't, Slats. You can't reach your gun. The fumes have got you. You can't move your arms or legs. Your eyesight's going. In one second more, you'll be... Got him. Dead to the world. You mean... It works, Patricia. It's practical. It works. Are you trying to tell me that you killed those two men? Not necessarily. Listen. Sounds like cars. Probably police cars. We're just about to be sensationally rescued, just like fiction. Jerry. Jerry. Come on, Abigail. Come on in and get us, you lug. Don't talk like Louie or we'll get a bullet through the head yet. Yeah, that is a thought. We're prisoners. We're victims. This way, please. Hit the sergeant. And I was never so glad to see a uniform in my life. Here now, here now. What's going on in this place? Louie Miller knocked out in that room? Blimey, if it's not Slats, Kelly knocked out in this room. Just a couple of mugs I polished off, Sergeant, all in the day's work. You mean they're dead? They'll be all right if you drag them out in the open air. Oh, you, I recognize you. You're the writer who was kidnapped tonight. Yes, and you will find the other snatches in that room. But first of all, have you got a key that'll unlock regulation police handcuffs? I certainly have, sir, and I'll get you loose in a jiffy. Never mind me, Sergeant, never mind my handcuffs. Get this lady free. She's the one I'm concerned about. You know, that's awfully kind of you. It's something practically chivalrous. Chivalry, my eye. There you are, young lady. Have you got your notebook and pencil in that handbag? You don't want me to take dictation now. A true artist, madam, takes no account of time or place. Are you ready? Yes, Mr. Hawkstone. Well, you admit now that my plot is practical. Yes, Mr. Hawkstone. Now then, The Income Tax Murder by Gerald Hawkstone, Chapter One. But, Mr. Hawkstone... Just as Big Ben was striking midnight, a hooded face looked into the window of the luxurious study... Occupied by the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Full stop. The hooded figure chuckled as it softly lowered inside the window a large tin of cleaning fluid. New paragraph. The Chancellor himself was hard at work devising a new scale of income tax. So, Mr. Hawkstone, that's a completely different story. I thought you were going to murder the Lord Chief Justice. Haven't you any professional taste? How can I murder the Lord Chief Justice? I just saved his life. And that was the dazzling Mr. Roland Young in The Customers Like Murder from Suspense. Perhaps my favourite old-time radio episode of all time. 
I do hope you don't mind me rebroadcasting it, but I've always wished that I'd saved it until my audience was a little bigger, because the more people that hear it, the better. Well, I'd like to just quickly and humbly offer my biggest thank you to you, whoever you are, for having tuned in not just this time, but all the times before. I know I haven't always been the most prolific or regular podcaster in the world, but I think as time has gone on, I've realized that I would much prefer to make shows that I'm proud of rather than just churn out episodes for the sake of it. It's been my honor and my privilege to make a hundred of these things and even more of a thrill to have spent the last five years in your company whilst doing so. You really are the most incredible audience, the kindest, sweetest people in the world. You make every single day so enjoyable and I'll never be able to thank you enough for not only listening to this show, but also for allowing me to make it full-time for a living. I mean, it's really a dream come true to be able to say that I do this as my job. As I said at the top of the show, Attaboy Clarence is going nowhere. In fact, from episode 101, which will be out toward the end of June, this show will be coming to you far more often. As always, if you'd like more Attaboy Clarence, you can sign up to become a patron and one of my employers by going to patreon.com slash attaboysecret or click the link in the show notes. Only takes a minute and there are literally hundreds of hours of bonus content all there ready and waiting for you. My hugest thanks for your listenership. And so from this, the 100th edition of Attaboy Clarence, let me once more tell you to take the best care of yourself. And until episode 101 and all the episodes beyond, bye for now. If you'd like to support this show, you can do so by going to www.attaboyclarence.com and clicking on the Patreon banner. Pledges start from as little as $1 a month, and in return you'll receive exclusive emails, bonus episodes, previews, and ebooks. And every dollar pledged goes towards making these shows better and more frequent. Go to www.attaboyclarence.com or click the link in the show notes now to become a patron. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.